This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the CLNS Patriots Beat. I am your host, Harris Rubenstein, and today... There's actually no Austin Bumpus, and for the rest of the time on Celtics Beat, maybe we'll have Austin Bumpus on as a guest, but unfortunately, he has accepted a more advanced position with the Boston Globe, so you guys are stuck with me as your solo host every other week, but I'm glad to be here, glad to uh, bring you guys some nice Patriots coverage, so we'll see what we can bring you guys to the table. So first things first today, I think you know what's fair to talk about is the uh, owners' meetings, from the past couple weeks, and I think you know the biggest Patriots news that we saw is the report that Roger Goodell will not be giving the Patriots their picks back, which, you know, I, I, I referenced this in uh, the interview with Mr. Gasper. Uh, Chris Gasper, by the way, will be on the show later uh, to kind of talk about the owners' meetings, the new rules, uh, and all that kind of jazz. We'll talk to him about the uh, Pats moves that they made with Shane McClellan and Chris Long. And uh, we also bring on a CLNS correspondent, uh, his name's Tom Little, good buddy of mine, also with a plethora of Patriots knowledge like myself. So, you know, he'll give a little uh, perspective on both those guys. But, you know, back to the Patriots news at hand, we saw Roger Goodell, or we heard that he's not going to give the Patriots picks back, despite, you know, Robert Kraft sending him that letter. But I, I need Patriots Nation to kind of kind of join me in unison here and just kind of go... Well, duh, because there was no real honest, like, there was no way that they were actually going to give the picks back. I mean, we, we saw the report come out that the owners just don't like Robert Kraft and don't want him to be successful anymore, so they weren't going to help out, help out with this. Roger Goodell is still currently in a legal battle, tr- legal battle, excuse me, trying to suspend Tom Brady, so he's not going to give the Patriots picks back while he's still in court. So this was kind of a, you know, a fairy dream from the beginning. They weren't going to get that pick back, and I think the Patriots know it too. I think that was one of the reasons they got that second round pick from Chandler Jones. You know, I, I mentioned this in uh, the interview or with Chris Gass Asper that, um, you know, a lot of the things that, um, you know, you notice with that Chandler Jones trade along with Jonathan Cooper was that second round pick. And, you know, they don't, they have a ton of assets right now. They have like seven sixth round picks. They have four picks in the top 100, which to me smells kind of priming for a trading up into the, into the first round. This is a very strong draft and multiple positions that the Patriots are looking at. I think that this might be the first time that we actually ever see the Patriots bring in a 
top-flight wide receiver coming out of college. It's not really something that they've ever done in the past. I don't think they've ever actually done in the past off of uh, the top of my head. But, I mean, they need a wide receiver. And I think that, you know, with Brandon LaFell being gone, they need another outside guy. Look, I, I understand that, um, you know, the the guy they brought in is, you know, Chris Hogan's going to be, like, a good player. He's, you know, they called him 7-11 because he's always open. But, like, I, I think we can all notice that him, Danny Amendola, and Julian Edelman are all very, very, not necessarily similar-looking players, but just similar in stature. They're both kind of they're all kind of around the same size. They're all very quick, very agile, very good with their hands. So, I think that they're going to be looking for a bigger kind of outside receiver. I think you saw that with the uh, Martellus Bennett edition with how inc- I think he's going to be an incredible tight end. I think he's going to fit perfectly right into that offense next to Gronk. They're going to get the two tight end sets that they desperately needed at times last year. I mean, we we, you know, when when Scott Shanley was signed last year, a lot of people thought that he was going to be you know, like Gronkowski's buddy, and they were going to go up and down the field and just kind of wreck people. But I mean, Scott Scott Scandler is no no Martellus Bennett. Martellus Bennett is easily top five receiving tight ends in the entire NFL. If you want to, if you want more proof, just go look at his past couple seasons with the Bears. Go look at the game he had against the Patriots. That sick touchdown catch in the back corner. The guy's a star. You know, he's a pretty good blocker, too. I think he fits in perfectly. They only had to give up, what, a, a fourth-round pick for a top-flight receiving tight end. I think it was a, a perfect move for them. I think he's going to fit right in. So Martellus Bennett, Chris Hogan come in. Brandon LaFell goes out. So they're still looking for that outside receiver. So they have a couple of options in the draft. You know, Josh Doxson's a name that's been thrown around. They met with um, a wide receiver from UCLA whose name escapes me. Um, they met with him to kind of, you know, I think they worked him out to see if he's going to be an option. Leonte Carew, the guy from uh, Rutgers, and obviously the Pages to Rutgers connection is pretty strong. I wouldn't be surprised if they looked at some of the uh, wide receivers coming out of the Pac-10. They seem to have a favoritism towards uh, those kinds of players over the last couple of years. We've seen them select a ton of players out of Stanford University over the past couple of uh, seasons. So those are some guys to really keep your mind open for. But... You know, this has been a pretty exciting Patriots offseason. I know a lot of Patriots fans were very, I, I think the word is disappointed with their inactivity over the past couple of weeks before, obviously, the Chandler Jones trade and the two signings. I think everyone was kind of disappointed, ex- excluding myself. I'll exclude myself in this because I, I, I knew what they were doing. Um, from this idea that, like, you know, all oh, the Patriots don't sign free agents or whatever. But, guys, we have to remember something. The teams that are usually signing these free agents, right, like the Jaguars and, and the Dolphins, the Texans, those are teams that need to sign those kinds of free agents. The The Patriots do not need to sign Olivier Vernon to a five-year gazillion dollar deal. They don't need to sign Mario Williams to a two-year crappy deal to go sit in Miami and not give a crap. Like they, they don't they don't need those kinds of players. They need players that they can build around. They need players who are gonna be who are gonna fit well into their rotations, like Chris Long and Shane McClellan, which is why they're such good pickups. They don't they like when's the last time they they signed that huge big time for agency guy? I think the 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 one that comes to my head is a Dalius Thomas, and we all how we all saw how that turned out. So I think Patriots Nation kind of needs to take a little bit of a step back and recognize that that's not what they do. That's not what they've ever done. And they're going to continue to not do things that way. I mean, we saw last last season with Jabal Sheard coming in, another one of those guys that you know they brought in to fill a spot in the defensive end rotation. He ended up exploding last year, as we saw. But 
he's just a kind of like he they love that kind of player, the kind of player that was kind of misused where they used to play. And now that they can bring them into their system, they can really use them to the full potential. Because I really don't think there's a better team in the NFL than the Patriots, who can who is better at getting the most out of what a player is good like. I think um, we saw that a couple years ago. I think I forget what college player it was who came out and said that uh, Bill Belichick never asked them what their weaknesses are. They always asked them what their strengths are. Because there's no point of asking, or there's no point of making a player do something they're bad at. Because they're just they're. They're going to be bad at it. So I think Belichick has done a really good job of the past couple of years to try to bring in guys and use them to their full potential. And I think we're going to still see that with guys like McClellan and Shea Long. Excuse me, Shea McClellan and uh, Chris Long. But yeah, I, you know, everyone just kind of needs to take a big step back, take a little bit of a deep breath, recognize it's not what they do. And I think we're going to have a uh, rest of the good offseason. So NFL draft coming up in a couple weeks. Just a couple positions to look out for before we get into our interview with Chris Gasper. Uh, we talked about wide receiver a good amount, kind of looking out towards those um, those Big Ten or Pac-12 wide receivers that I really think that are going to be a big addition for the team next season if they bring one in. Um, everyone keeps clamoring for running back. I mean, with the amount of picks they have in the top 100, it's very possible that they could bring in a running back. Someone like a... Um, I, 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 I know this is this is a pipe dream, and and Patriots fans do not like get your hopes up about this. But I I really do think that Derrick Henry would be an incredible fit. Obviously, I know he's a tremendous player. He just won the Heisman, so yes, duh, Harris. He's, he would be a great fit in any team. But I mean, we know the relationship that Nick Saban and Bill Belichick have. We know the relationship that Belichick has with the, with his Alabama players, and we saw last year. I mean, before Legarrette Blunt went down. You know, he he was still a really good fit in this offense, and I think it's fair to say that Derrick Henry and LeGarrette Blunt are very similar players. I mean, Derrick Henry's a giant. He's like 6'3", 240. He's just a massive man and a massive player at running back. I think that's what the Patriots are looking for. I mean, they have a lot of good run blockers, especially in the, in the middle with someone like a Shaq Mason. Jonathan Cooper, the guy they just brought in, is a very good run blocker when he's healthy. We saw David Andrews and Brian Stork last year succeed not too well in the pass game, but still succeed very well in the run game. Uh, Solder's coming back, obviously, and we'll see what happens with Vollmer. I think he'll be, I think he'll make the team, but we'll see if he makes it through uh, veteran cuts in the uh, during training camp. But you know, we'll see. I think Derrick Henry would be a really good fit. I think Kenneth Dixon from Louisiana State would be another terrific fit. Uh, terrific fit, excuse me, in that offense. I think there are a lot of guys. Maybe an Alex Collins out of the University of Arkansas, another running back. But you know, I think we're going to definitely see them pick up a running back. Um, maybe. I mean, they just got their linebacker. They'll probably pick up a corner or two like they usually do. Maybe they'll bring in another safety in the second round to replace Tavon Wilson. But I think I think myself and the rest of uh, rest of our listeners out there could do without another draft with a Tavon Wilson. You know, as much as I enjoy Jordan Richards playing last year, he's not he's not exactly what I'd call a uh, a, a second round talent. So hopefully, you know, the Patriots do kind of well in the draft this year. I'm I'm very hopeful. I still think that they're going to trade up to uh, the first, uh, not first overall. I think they're going to trade up in the first round. They have four picks in the top 100. I think they have two picks in the f- second, two picks in the third as well. I think they traded their only fourth round pick. I'm not sure. But, you know, we, we've seen Belichick make it, make those kinds of trades in the past. I mean, you know, to bring up Chandler Jones again, I mean, I, I remember when uh, – Chandler Jones was first drafted in 2000, I want to say it was 2012, 
I want to say 2012 was when he was drafted, maybe 2011. And, um, you know, that was such an exciting day as a Patriots fan because they trade up for Chandler Jones. And then out of nowhere, they trade up ahead of the Ravens and select Donta Hightower, who was linked to them in the draft multiple, multiple times. So, you know, they've done moves like that in the past to trade back up into the first round. They've obviously had their times where they've traded back as well. But I think that they've gotten on a really good roll the past couple of years with some good first-round picks. I mean, you know, Donta Hightower being one of them. Uh, Malcolm Brown last year was was so good. And I, he's, such, he's such an underappreciated player. I think that if you're a Patriots fan and you didn't really get to see a lot of Malcolm Brown and you don't really understand what he brings to the table, just, you know, go back and watch some of their games and just watch him. You'll see that he had such a big impact on that team when they started getting all those injuries. He was such a good player for them. And um, I think that you know they'll bring in another first-round pick, trade back up, and keep trying to build up that defense, and then later in the rounds pick up those wide receivers and running backs. But enough from me. Let's get into the actual professionals of this. So without further ado, I would like to introduce Chris Gasper, the Boston sports columnist for the Boston Globe, to talk about what the Patriots are doing at the owners' meetings and some of the moves that they have made this offseason. Chris, how are you doing? You know, I read your column this morning, uh, greatly enjoyed it as usual. You talked a lot about the new NFL rules that the uh, competition committee, um, you know, uh, announced this week. So can you kind of send us through what you think the uh, impacts of those rules are going to be? Yeah, sure. I'll start with the two ones I thought that really were the most notable. Um, number one is sort of, you know, but the, the red card rule, the idea that like soccer, if you get, you know, two cards, in this case two unsportsmanlike conduct penalties, it's an automatic ejection. And then the other one was moving kickoffs uh, that are touchbacks. Instead of a touchback resulting in the ball being at the 20, it will be at the 25. So, you know, in terms of the ejection rule, you know, they're saying it's a sportsmanship situation. But I really think that rule would be a lot better if it had something to do with hits that were illegal, you know, hits that were predatory, hits that were targeting people, hits that, that had to do with player safety. When, you know, when I look at this rule, the way that they passed it, to me, it just sort of seems like window dressing and really an extension of Commissioner Roger Goodell cracking down on players. I mean, if guys are going to get thrown out of game for trash-talking or taunting or stuff like that, uh, while I don't condone that stuff, I also don't want to see games decided by having star players baited into trash-talk and then being booted out of a game. I, I really think that rule shouldn't have been passed until it had a little bit of a finer point and maybe more of a player safety point to it. Um, but it seemed like it sort of got rammed through on Wednesday. The touchback rule, I think, is really interesting in the sense that the NFL's worked really hard, and coaches like Bill Belichick have talked about this, to reduce the number of kickoff returns. They feel like that's a dangerous play. It, it results in a lot of injuries, which is sort of why I don't understand what they're doing here with this touchback thing. I think they want to reward teams who are on the other end of the touchback because the kickers are so good and there's so many touchbacks. But the problem is that these special teams coaches and these kickers are smart, and you're going to see more pop-up kicks. And when you do pop-up kicks, you're just sort of hanging the ball in the air, and that means you're going to have more collisions because there's more time for the kick coverage team to run down there. And if the ball lands at the seven-yard line and is caught, then it's going to be returned. So... I think that this rule is a little bit at odds with what they've tried to accomplish from a player safety standpoint, and I, I think it's going to have some unintended consequences, unfortunately, in terms of more kickoff returns, which, while the kickoff return is a very exciting play, uh, and I certainly enjoy it, I also have applauded their efforts in the past to try and reduce those kickoff returns in terms of player safety. 
One thing you mentioned in your article that I really enjoyed was giving, uh, or you, you said something that uh, you didn't like how these rules gave what Roger Goodell gave the sportsmanship rules teeth. You call them teeth, and I kind of liked how you did it. Can you kind of elaborate on that, how you know giving that kind of rule is bad for the NFL? Yeah, I don't think sportsmanship is a bad thing. Sportsmanship is fine, as I point out in the column. I mean, you have the players after the game deciding now to exchange jerseys, which is another sort of soccer tradition. I don't have a problem with that, and I certainly don't condone Odell Beckham Jr. and Josh Norman. I just think the idea of, like, an automatic ejection, um, I don't like that idea because I feel like it can have too much of an effect on the game. And, again, things that draw unsportsmanlike conduct penalties are, you know, taunting and trash-talking. Now, look, one of those things is throwing a punch, but to me, Throwing a punch, you already should be automatically ejected. You don't need to unsportsmanlike conduct penalties. If you see some guy throwing a punch, uh, the referee was well within uh, their right to eject people for throwing punches. So out of this rule, to me, it's just kind of superfluous. It's going to suppress guys' personalities. I think coaches expressed concern that their guys could get baited into saying something or doing something or behaving in a manner that could lead to them being ejected. Um, you know, another part of it is if you accidentally, you know, bump an official, well, if that official feels like, you know, you made contact with them and maybe it wasn't so accidental and they throw one flag on you for unsportsmanlike conduct and then later on in the game you get in a situation where you're, you know, jawing with an opposing player and it's a double penalty for unsportsmanlike for jawing, well, now you're out of the game. And it's like, well, what did you really do? And I thought Tom Pelissaro of USA Today brought up a great point that Roger Goodell kind of dodged, you know, what does it say about the NFL that somebody is out of the game in the scenario I just painted, but somebody who has two hits on a defenseless receiver or leads two times with the crown of the helmet and draws two personal fouls, they're still going to be in the same game. And I just feel like the intent, I understand what the league's trying to do. I just think that they rushed this rule through, Goodell ran this rule through when it wasn't really ready and it didn't really have a fine enough point to try and accomplish what it should accomplish. And I think when you do that, a lot of times the rules end up not not being good in terms of accomplishing what they should, but also there's a ton of unintended consequences that are bad. So to kind of stay on the um, uh, stay on the uh, the owners' meetings, we also saw a report kind of come out today and yesterday, or mo- mostly this morning, that um the, the, one of the reasons the NFL owners didn't give the Patriots picks back was because they thought that they quote unquote were doing it to get back at Kraft because they don't like Kraft. Do you think that that has a lot of backing to it, or do you just think that's kind of random rumors? Uh, I think, you know, I, I would say they don't like Robert Kraft personally. I, I don't think that's the case. I think it's a situation where you have some owners that maybe don't like the level of success the team has had and the perceived level of influence he's had with the NFL office and the commissioner's office, and they're not in any rush to do him any favors. Um, I don't think it's a personal situation where they don't, like Robert Kraft. Uh, of course, I can't rule that out completely. Maybe there's an owner or two, but he's a rather influential owner in the league, and I don't think you, you get to that point if your colleagues, the other owners, don't respect you on some level. I think this is just kind of the way the league operates, you know, in terms of these guys all, they, they all run around talking about the partnership and all this other stuff, and, like, that's great. They're all partners when they're in a CBA negotiation and they want to suppress, you know, labor costs. Then they're all partners. And when it's something where they can make money on a TV deal, then they're all partners. But the reality is they're competitors, and they don't want to do anything that's going to help the Patriots get better. They could care less whether Goodell's punishment is fair or not. 
Uh, they're sick of seeing the Patriots winning. And why would they want to give a first-round pick back to a team they have to compete with? So I think that's really at the root of it. You know, I think it, it's this idea that, you know, okay, this is all this benevolent partnership between it's a collective between the teams. Yeah, it's that when it's convenient for them. But the reality is these are 30 teams that are in bloodthirsty competition with each other, and the other 31 have no interest in doing anything to help the Patriots become a better team. Right, and, you know, we, we saw also that Roger Goodell, he got Kraft's letter, which I'm sure you read or uh, has been kind of circulating. Was, was there ever really a chance that Goodell was actually going to give these picks back to the Patriots, note or not? I don't think so. Um, I don't think there was. I understand why Robert Kraft would write the letter, um, and that makes sense. You know, I, I think really the better thing to do, and I'm sure the Krafts have been doing this behind the scenes, is to try and appeal to other owners to move Goodell to try and restore the picks. But as we just talked about, those owners have no motivation to do that. You know, I'll be frank with you. I thought that Robert Kraft brought up this letter uh, sort of as a political move to go back to the Patriots fan base. And I know many people are still mad that he capitulated back in May and sort of say, look, I'm fighting for these picks. I feel the same way you feel. Uh, because the reality is you, you heard Roger Goodell's response. He said he had responded to the letter. Uh, and told, you know, basically said unequivocally, no, you're not getting the picks back. And the punishment stands. And, and Robert Kraft didn't mention that when he spoke with reporters. Robert Kraft already knew they weren't getting the picks back when he brought up the fact that they had written a letter to Goodell. He, he made it seem like Goodell was still considering this or had not taken the time to respond when he'd already gotten a response, at least according to Goodell. A response had already been received by the Patriots that, that said it wasn't going to happen. So, I think this was a little bit of PR on the on the on that behalf of, of, of Robert Kraft, where he looked at it and said, "How can I sort of um, make? How can I sort of appease and placate my fan base that's mad at me for us not having this first round pick?" Well, I can tell everybody that I fought for it with this letter. Well, to kind of switch gears a little bit to go more on the uh, football side of things, we saw the Patriots make a couple pickups. Um, <clears throat> the past couple weeks, we saw Chris Long obviously come into. Not, I, w- I wouldn't call it replace Chandler Jones. I know that's been said, but I think he's just kind of coming in to fill in the spot in the rotation. And they also signed Shane McClellan, who I- I'm very high on. I think he was pretty good last year with the uh, Bears when they moved him on the inside. What, what kind of roles do you think that those two guys are going to have next season? Well, we'll certainly see. I mean, you know, Chris Long is a guy that's coming off injuries the last couple of years and has not been as productive as he was earlier in his career. I don't think there's any question about that. He certainly has the pedigree uh, to be an effective player and an effective pass rusher, and he has put up stats in the past in terms of getting to the quarterback, and there's no question about that. But I think you have to look at a guy who now is 30 years old. Uh, He'll be 31, actually, in a couple of days, March 28th, and hasn't had a double-digit sack season since 2012. So is it realistic to expect him to go back to that form? I don't know. I tend to agree with you. I think he's part of the rotation. I I think you hope to get uh, production from Jabal Sheard like you got last year uh, and even more and increased snaps. Well, Trey Flowers, I thought, was the guy who was kind of odd man out last year, not because he wasn't good or wasn't ready, but just because they had depth there and he was a rookie. I think he's a guy that's shown some flashes of pass rush. uh, So I think that will be good. In terms of McClellan, I think that one's interesting. I mean, I look at the deal they gave him and, and the guaranteed money in that deal, and it's a little surprising to me to give him a $3.5 million guarantee. I mean, his base is completely guaranteed this year of a million and 2.5 in the signing bonus. 
but they must have a role for him. I tend to lean towards him being a, you know, off-the-line linebacker and using his athleticism. Obviously, they don't have Mayo, and I think they're weak at that sort of third linebacker spot, uh, and I think that's his role. I, I don't think you'll see him in a pass rush role, but it remains to be seen. And Belichick liked him when he came out in the draft a couple of years ago. We'll see on that one. You know, that one, I have to be honest, I'm a little skeptical of. I think this is a guy that sort of struggled to find a home, struggled to find a position. But best case scenario is, you look at his background, it's not all that dissimilar from Teddy Bruschi. I mean, Bruschi in college at Arizona was a guy who had his hand on the ground and got after the passer and had to become a linebacker and make that transition in the NFL. McClellan's a guy that's been used at a number of spots in the NFL. He's still fairly new in terms of making the transition to linebacker. And, you know, I think when you have that type of ability and athleticism and you can get good coaching, uh, I'm not saying the guy can be Teddy Bruschi, but the Patriots have a track record of taking somebody who has the attributes of a good football player and is, in, is changing positions and, and finding a spot for him and molding him into a productive player. And I think that's sort of their hope with McClellan. Very nice. So, you know, one thing that I've noticed about this Patriots offseason before we uh, get you out of here, um, it seems they're not so, the Patriots aren't so much stockpiling assets, but they do have a lot of assets that they could turn into another, I don't know, maybe first-round draft pick or another player. Do you see them using any of these assets to try to get uh, something like that, or do you think they're going to kind of stand pat and wait for the draft? That's a good question. I, I think, you know, really when you talk about that, the number one thing that comes to mind is Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, Garoppolo's going into the third year of his rookie deal. He was a second-round pick, so that contract is four years in length. You look at the Brock Osweiler situation in Denver, uh, they really get nothing for him at all as a second-round pick and a guy who started in the league. Uh, there's a, clearly a paucity of, of quarterbacks in the NFL, uh, Cleveland you know, signing RG3. So what could you get for Jimmy Garoppolo? You know, could you get a first-round pick for him? You know, Maybe. I, I mean, I, I don't think this is a great quarterback draft. I know people are higher on Carson Wentz and, and, and Jared Goff, but, but I don't think there's anybody out there you look at and say, that guy's Andrew Locke. Um, it would be interesting to see if they would dangle him. On the other hand, though, you have invested in him, and he has value to you as a backup. I mean, you don't want to be in a situation where if Tom Brady somehow gets hurt and can't play for an extended stretch of time, that your season is, is over uh, and that your championship hopes are over. And because you have Garoppolo under contract, there's nothing to say that you couldn't try and shop him next year uh, during the offseason. So when I look at it, it's a tough decision. If I were the Patriots, unless I'm getting like a top 10 pick and there's a particular player I really think is good, is maybe a you know, perennial Pro Bowl player that I can get, I'm going to hold on to Garoppolo because I think he has more value to me as a backup just in case with Brady to make sure that everything we've invested in this season and trying to win another Super Bowl doesn't go out the window. And, and Belichick, look, he has experience with that as, as, a, as a defensive coordinator in the 1990 Giants. That's a team that lost Phil Simms for an extended stretch, obviously, and Jeff Hostetler had to come in and, and guide that team. And, and they, they still ended up winning the Super Bowl. So if anybody knows that, it, it, it's Belichick. So, uh, that, you know, Garoppolo is the guy. To me. Now, the other guy would have been Chandler Jones. And I will say this, I'm a little surprised that they didn't get more for Chandler Jones. Really? I'm not saying it's a bad trade, but I'm just saying I'm a little surprised. And the owner's meeting uh, was Arizona, Steve Kime, and Bruce Arians saying it was the Patriots that initiated the trade talks over Chandler Jones. I'm sure the Patriots talked to other teams. It's just interesting to me that in a league where 
the pass rush is at a premium. Those type of guys are hard to find. And, and Arian said that. He said, you know, these guys aren't growing on trees. That all they could get was a second-round pick lower than the one they already had at the end of the second round. And a guard who, to this point in his career, and Jonathan Cooper, has been a disappointment. Uh, I would have thought that maybe for Chandler Jones you could get an early second-round pick, maybe even a late first. I don't know how much that's clouded by the fact that he had the issue, obviously, with the Foxborough police and synthetic marijuana. Maybe that's a big factor. He's in the, we don't know for sure, but it's certainly possible that he's in the NFL drug program and another strike. He's sitting out games. Maybe that depressed his value. But Jones and Garoppolo, to me, were the two guys that could really bring you a first-round pick that you wanted to get rid of. I don't think you want to get rid of Dante Hightower, Malcolm Butler, or Jamie Collins. I think those guys are too essential to what you're trying to accomplish. All right, well, Chris Gasper, one of the uh, one of the best columnists I've ever read and uh, the Boston Sports columnist, second behind Dan Shaughnessy. Thank you so much for joining us, and, uh, you know, thanks again. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. Of course. Goodbye. Thanks so much to Chris Gasper for coming on our show. That interview is sponsored by SeatGeek. Have you ever been frustrated trying to buy tickets online? Most sites make it complicated, and they all try to sneak in huge fees at checkout. That's why you need to try SeatGeek. They've made it easier than ever to buy and sell concert tickets. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and I just used it the other day to look for tickets for the most recent Bruins game. They're almost at the playoffs, so I'm trying to get a good game with a couple of my buddies, and SeatGeek has taken all the work and hassle out of shopping for tickets. They pull all the tickets available on other sites into one place, so you save time and never miss a deal. You can even set alerts for upcoming events, and SeatGeek will let you know if ticket prices fall. Listeners of CLNS Radio get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get your $20 rebate on tickets, download the free SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab and click add a promo code and enter the promo code CELTICSBEAT. Then SeatGeek will give you $20 off after you made your first ticket purchase. It's a great deal. I suggest you go do it as soon as you can. So download the free SeatGeek app and enter the promo code CELTICSBEAT today. Welcome back to the Patriots Beat Podcast. I'm Harris Zubinstein with Tom Little, CLNS contributor, to kind of come in and give us some Patriots news because I know it can't be fun to listen to me talk for an entire 45 minutes. So, Tom, we've had a a kind of crazy week for the Patriots. You know, we saw, we heard about Robert Kraft's letter to Goodell to try to get the picks back. We heard about... Um, uh, we heard that apparently all the NFL owners don't like Kraft. So, you know, what what do you make of all this jargon? Well, I mean... What I make of this is pretty much that the NFL is happy with how they punished the Patriots after last season with all of the Deflategate stuff, and they're not going to change. Robert Kraft said last year that he would accept the punishments that were given to try and put an end to this. Obviously, you see that an end wasn't put to this. Robert Kraft still thinks he deserves the draft picks because... He's not satisfied with what he lost based off of a more probable than not uh, verdict on the Wells report. Mm-hmm. I know. I, I think personally that it was just like when I heard that like he wasn't gonna give the picks back. My my first reaction was like, well, well, duh. Did did people really think that they were gonna get the picks back? Like the 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 chances of them getting the picks back were so unbelievably low. That I think that we you know when when Kraft uh, gave the letter, kind of like what um, Chris Gasper said that you know he was kind of covering his home his own butt on that one to kind of be like, hey, look, I tried to do this and it still didn't work. I'm not the bad guy, but you know I still think that 
you know, as great of an owner as Kraft has been, you know, through all the scandals, through everything, I I think, you know, it's time to admit that he really did make a big blunder with accepting that punishment. Because I think we're seeing now that it didn't help. The He got taken advantage of. And now he looks like an idiot. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in the NFL rulebook, I'm not sure if you mentioned this earlier, but in the NFL rulebook, the highest punishment that the Patriots could have gotten for an infraction like, like that 50K, right? was like 25K. Jeez. And they end up with a $1 million fine, losing draft picks, and Tom Brady was suspended for four games last year, which was then lifted by Judge Berman. But that's much more of a penalty than teams normally get. Like you saw with the... Uh, Atlanta Falcons pumping in crowd noise or the Browns texting the mm-hmm. sidelines, they did not get penalized nearly as much as the Patriots did. And the Patriots weren't found 100% guilty. They were found more probable than not. So Robert Kraft didn't deserve the punishment. He should have fought it. But now a year later, that's not the time to write a letter and be like, hey, I want my draft picks back. Lol, JK, give me those picks back. Like, there's just, like, no chance that they're going to actually get those picks back. But, you know, kind of switching gears a little bit, Tom, from the uh, from the Deflategate scandal because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just about as sick of talking about it as, as I think most people are. But, um, you know, we also saw the Patriots make a couple deals uh, over the past couple weeks. We saw, you know, kind of like what I talked about with Chris Gasper, they brought in uh, Shane McClellan from the Bears. They moved, you know, the guy who moved from inside linebacker. Funny, funny enough. Shea McClellan was actually the guy the Bears drafted a pick before the Patriots took Chandler Jones. And all the people that I follow, like, I I follow everyone in the NFL from every single team. And all the Bears people thought it was hilarious that, like, you know, they traded Chandler Jones and brought in Shea McClellan. Because the Bears wanted Chandler Jones but took Shea McClellan instead. So they bring in Shea McClellan. In comes Chris Long. Replacement or not replacement? Chris Long. I think... Chris Long is, he's not going to give you the same production that Chandler Jones does. Chandler Jones was a first-round pick. He led the team in sacks last year. He was among the league leaders in sacks last year, actually, in the NFL. First-time pro bowler. And you're not going to get that from Chris Long. That's just not who he is. However, he is a solid player, and he will help um, fill a void on that side of the line. Um, And, yeah. I mean, he's a great... uh... He's a great Twitter follow, that's for sure. But, you know, well, when we're talking about Shane McClellan, we're talking about a guy who, when he came out of college, played defensive end. That didn't work. Moved him to outside linebacker. Uh, that that didn't work either. So they moved him to middle linebacker. And last year, like, had had some flashes of really good play. I, I'm a Shane McClellan believer. I think that he played really well with the Bears in the middle linebacker position. That being said, that entire Bears defense was just, you know, was just a complete joke. And, I mean, are you comfortable putting him in in kind of the Gerard Mayo, Jonathan Freeney role, or are you still skeptical? I mean, I'm comfortable putting him in, but only if Donta Hightower and Jamie Collins can stay healthy. Because you see a linebacker core with those two, you're like, oh, I can put almost anyone in this third role and we'll have a real solid linebacking core. If those two get injured and can't play a 16-game season, much like they couldn't last year, then you might start seeing problems at what is already a pretty thin position depth-wise for the Patriots. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so, Tom, well, I know this is a, a Patriots podcast, but, you know, we, 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 we like to keep it all NFL-based here. And, um, honestly, while we were recording this podcast, um, we, you, we both kind of looked at each other and were like, 
The Browns just signed RG3. And apparently it's still like a pretty hefty deal. We it's two years, fifteen million dollars. And wait for this, ready? Six point seven five million dollars guaranteed. Now, Tom, if you ask me and you're gonna say, like, oh, what do you think of RG three and is he gonna affect, you know, the AFC and all? I you know what, Tom? I'm a believer. I think that a rookie year RG3 is still somewhere in them. And I think taking a year off from football for him, you know, I I have a big problem with his attitude. I think that, you know, he's a guy who came into the league way too cocky, had a great rookie season, didn't think he had to work for it. But now I think he kind of gets it that, you know, he got re- he got replaced by a sixth or by a fifth round draft pick. Fourth round. Fourth round draft pick. So, you know, second overall pick gets replaced by a fourth-round draft pick. That fourth-round draft pick just got $20 million guaranteed this year, and and he just got a $15 million deal from the Browns to, like, basically be Josh McCown. So, I mean, I'm a believer of RG3. Are, are you a believer? Are you, on, are you a, I guess, a RG3 believer? I don't know. <laughs> There's no real good... Nice try, but um, I'm not really a believer in RG3. I think that what you saw his rookie year was mainly defenses weren't prepared to defend that type offense. You saw that with Russell Wilson. You saw that with Cam Newton that year. All of those running quarterbacks, and Colin Kaepernick as well, you saw that with all of those uh, quarterbacks that year that people had a hard time defending the pistol. Now that it's been a couple of years, that type of offense won't necessarily work yeah, I remember as Matt, well. Matt Stafford with the Lions, they were in that pistol for a couple of years in there when yeah, they made the playoffs. Exactly. But with the Browns, he's going to have to fight for the starting job. I don't see it being a, oh, you have the starting job, RG3. Go out there and win. Josh McCown is still there. He's still a decent NFL quarterback. So he's going to a place where he's going to have competition, and he should be expecting that. And hopefully he's mature enough now to be prepared and do that. I want to see him prove me wrong. I loved RG3's uh, play his rookie year. He was great to watch, fun to watch. The Redskins were fun to watch that year. Kid's got a lot of arm and, talent. Like, oh, really? absolutely. He got so much. Like, I remember when he, like, some of these, so I remember one of his big things coming into college was how well he can throw the deep ball. I, I, you know, that was the year he had, you know, Pierre Garcon. Like, I remember, like, not a lot of these viewers were really good. They like Pierre Garcon, like, Brandon Barker. Uh, who, who was the – oh, they had this little Wasn't, guy. Um, Santana Moss on the team? Santana Moss too. was still on that team. Um, who's the guy on the oh, – Leonard Hankerson was on that team. All these guys could just, like, run straight. And he would just launch these absolute bombs and, like, have these, like, crazy 70-yard runs. And, like, he was legitimately fun to watch. Like, there was a time – like, during that season, there were times where we kind of, like, is he better than Andrew Luck? Like I, I think RG three could actually end up being a pretty good guy. I think that this, the whole him not playing anything last year, I think it's going to end up being good for him. And also, fun fun thing that's kind of lower, he's actually going to be reunited with his favorite receiver from college, Josh Gordon, if he gets reinstated. So the Josh Gordon RG three combo, which was so so sick in college. At the at Baylor when they had that ridiculous offense is coming back. That'll be outstanding if Josh Gordon can stay on the field. If he can stay out of trouble, mm-hmm. Josh Gordon, in my opinion, is a top five receiver oh, if he's so on good. the field. He's so good. He's so fun to watch. Pairing that with a deep ball that RG three has, that'll be fantastic. I think another problem he's that gonna be the new Calvin Johnson that Patriots fans that, always want to trade for. Yeah, exactly. But I think a problem that people always forget when talking about RG three is that. His uh, knee injury in the playoffs of his rookie year 
That was his second major leg injury, Mm -hmm. and he was a running quarterback. He was known for the run. He could pass the deep ball, which is why he was such a great player his rookie year. But people forget that that injury was his second big one. He had one uh, coming out of Baylor, and he was trying to transition purely to a pocket passer, and you just can't do that. you got to find something that you feel comfortable with that you're able to do. And hopefully with the season off and switching teams, he'll be able to find that. Mm-hmm, I agree. But, you know, one thing that's kind of been surprising about this uh, NFL offseason is that it, it almost seems like every team, well, not, not every team, not every team, a lot of the lower teams got a lot better. So, you know, especially, you know, for instance, the Raiders got a lot better, you know, by getting uh, Kalecha Yosemite and a couple guys in that defense. We saw, you know, I'm not saying the Browns got a lot better, but still bringing in RG3 is still a pretty good move. The Jaguars got, you know, not really good, but they made a lot of big-time moves this offseason. So, you know, we're, we're seeing a lot of these blow teams kind of raise the overall class of the AFC. Can I make a bold go, prediction go on that? Um, I think the Raiders have a real shot at winning the AFC West. Oh, me too, because I think the Broncos yeah. got a lot worse. Yeah, uh, Amari Cooper paired with Derek Carr, that He's... is going to be one of the best quarterback-to-receiver um, tandems in the NFL in the coming years. Yo, ACDC is still so like the best good. nickname ever. ACDC oh, is awesome. They're going to be so great. The Broncos dropped off so much. I mean, yes, they still have their defense and yes, I they guess no Mark Sanchez did it with <laughs> Mark Sanchez did it with a really good defense. He brought the Jets to two um, AFC championships, but then he just totally fell off the wagon. But I don't think the Broncos are going to be nearly as good as they were, especially with losing players like Malik Jackson to free agency. Their defense is going to be as good as it was. They lost C.J. Anderson, so they can't be like, oh, no, he, oh. They, they, they brought him back. Oh, Remember, sorry, yeah, they, yeah, they did bring him back. Sorry, my bad. They brought him back. They matched Miami's offer. Um, but... You even like the team, like, like even yeah. like a team like the Texans, you know, bringing in Brock Osweiler. Deal aside, you know, four years, $74 million. Well, you know, that that's to each their own. I, I, I kind of like the contract. I seem to be the only one that kind of likes the contract. I like the contract because he showed a lot of potential in um, like, let's be perfectly in honest. Denver. He, he, he destroyed the Patriots. Oh, absolutely. Like, like I, when, when I, when, you know, when, when uh, I was talking to my friends when they first uh, made the deal, they were also like saying, oh, you only know, eight games and he got benched. And I was like, well, yeah, this is his first season starting. But he got like, benched for Peyton Manning. But like he destroyed the Patriots. Like he he brought the Patriots. To, like I know it was like oh in Denver, but like that was a Patriots team that was still arguably the best team in the NFL at the time. Was still somewhat healthy, and I know Gronk got hurt in that game, but like Brock Osweiler played really well in that game. He made some really nice throws. He's a he's a stand up kind of guy. He doesn't have a lot of character issues, you know. Plus they bring in Lamar Miller to so it's Lamar Miller. Um, Brock Osweiler and DeAndre Hopkins to go along with that defense. I mean, I, I, as much as I love what the Patriots have kind of done this offseason, the, the, overall, the AFC got better. Their division Absolutely. got a lot worse because I think Miami is is making a fool of themselves this offseason. Absolutely. And you look at the Sioux deal, it's coming back to hurt them. Yeah. They have no money to go out and get solid players, and they lost C.J. Anderson to um, – 
restricted free agency. The Broncos brought him back, matched their offer. They lost Lamar Miller to the Texans, which I thought was a. Stu- they always used him so bad. He's gonna he's oh, gonna kill it with the Texans. You saw he's such a good player. You saw spurts in Miami where Lamar Miller was the best player on the field. He's oh, such sure. a good player. Uh, he just never got that chance he needs. But yeah, the Dolphins took a step back, and um, the Jets. Who knows what's going to happen with Ryan Fitzpatrick? Who knows what's going to happen with Muhammad Wilkerson? Also, they might have to exactly. you know, trade him, kind of what the Patriots had to do with Chandler Jones. But you know, like the Bills didn't. You know, they brought back Richie Incognito, lost Mario Williams. You know, we saw Vernon leave the Dolphins for. By the way, I know everyone's keeps saying uh, that like Chandler Jones and Olivia Vernon, like Vernon's better than Jones. That that's fine and all, like you know whatever. Olivier Vernon. Was not, I repeat this again, was not worth the money that they gave him. Absolutely. That was not. The, the second, or that, might, that was the biggest contract ever given to a defensive end. I've watched Olivier Vernon for three years play against the Patriots. Okay, yes, he gets a good amount of sacks and he's okay against the run. I get it. Pro Football Focus was like in love with him last year. Great. They do that. They seem to do that every single other year with some other random player. But. That contract was absolutely ridiculous. Whoever his agent is deserves an award. Oh, absolutely. That was a ridiculous contract. He's not going to live up to that. They gave him basically the contract. They gave him a bigger contract than the Texans gave the best player, defensive player of our generation. I mean, he might be the best all-around player in the NFL and J.J. Watt because he can throw, he can catch, he can run. (laughs) Like, I love when the Texans put him on offense, but Olivier Vernon, not nearly as valuable to a team as a J.J. Watt. That was a contract. That was ridiculous. Like, like, people are like, oh, the Giants defense got so much better, and I say, yes, but but at what cost? What what cost? Like, I I understand that they're trying to win now because Eli Manning is what? 36, 37. I get it. But, like, that's so much money for a guy who spent most of his career opposite Cameron Wake, not being able to get double teamed ever. And I understand with the Giants, he probably still won't because they have a crazy defensive line now. But, I mean, what what, what was it? Like, five years, like, 95 million or something? I forget what the exact numbers of the contract are, but it was just it was probably one of the most ridiculous deals I've ever seen. Yeah, that deal was it wasn't a good choice. I mean, you're gonna see it's another example of how teams are trying to get players and they're overpaying for them to try to help their defense when there's if there's one position on the football field that should be getting that type of money. It's a quarterback because the quarterback is the person who's going to lead your offense defense you need to work as a team Mm -hmm. because of all the schemes zone you need to know where in the zone you are you need to know who's going to be in what zone man you got to know who you have who everyone else has who you need to help if it's a two-man zone things like that so overpaying a defensive player giving them sue money that's not a smart play that's gonna come back to bite them yeah, I agree with that one. All right, guys. Well, that's all the time we have for you this week on Patriots Beat. Check us out on clnsradio.com. Uh, check us out. Check our Twitter at Patriots underscore Beat. For myself, for Tom Little, also want to thank Chris Gasper for uh, coming on air with us today. But we hope you guys enjoy your Easter. And, uh, you know, thanks for joining us.